Now, one of my favorite quotes is by an author named Frederick B. Wilcox, which states, Progress always involves risks. You can't steal second base and keep your foot on first. Now, unless you're the incredible rubber man, maybe you could, but uh, I'm not. If you want to steal second, you can't keep your foot on first. Now, before my recent retirement from playing the Lakers, I like to think of myself as a base stealer. But one of the things I've also learned over the years is that it's much harder to get thrown out if you just stay on first base, right? If you've played baseball, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you never get thrown out if you stay on first, but you also will never make it to second, at least not from stealing the bag. And that's why timing matters. Choosing the right time to go is essential to success. And so this morning, as we continue in our series and we turn to Joshua chapter 3, and we continue on the way in, the way into the promised land, we find the children of Israel in a similarly risky situation with the runner, if you will, with his foot planted firmly on first base. They still have their feet firmly planted on the eastern banks of the Jordan River. And so this is the scenario we're going to pick up this morning. So as we prepare to enter God's word, would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that by it, we have everything we need. I pray, Lord, that as we look at this story, this account of Israel standing on the eastern banks of the Jordan River, and looking ahead to what what was before them, what you had brought them to, And the faith that was required, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see ourselves in this story, how it translates to our lives today, how you are ready to open a way for us when we follow by faith. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, your servant, through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we have the children of Israel standing on the eastern banks of the Jordan River for the second time. Right? You'll recall that 40 years earlier, the children of Israel had stood probably in the same area, the same land before. They had stood there when Moses was still living, ready to go into the promised land. But we know as the story goes, something happened. A curveball, if you will. You're going to be full of baseball analogies today, just to warn you. When uh, I spent all day yesterday with baseball, it's in my head. But a curveball came their way. And it was in the form of disobedience. The spies went, they came back with an evil report, and they said, it's too much, we can't do it, we're going to go back to Egypt. And so, of course, we know how that played out. Instead of going back to Egypt, they end up wandering 40 years in the wilderness until that entire generation passed away. And so now, the children at that time, the the young generation has grown up, and those born after that time, and now they're back for the second time at the bank of the Jordan River. And so now, undoubtedly, there was those who, when they came to this river once more, and they saw all of the challenges that lie ahead of them, there were those amongst them who will have been of the more cautious sort, those who will have still thought that keeping their feet firmly planted on the east side of the Jordan was the safer and therefore the wiser choice. But there is a time to wait And there is a time to go. And the truth is to have stayed put on the eastern shore of the Jordan River would have been blatant disobedience to God. 
with severe consequences, potentially depriving them as a nation of their God-given inheritance of a homeland. Now, in the same way, there is a spiritual Jordan River for every one of us, a barrier that forces us to make a decision to either stay where you are, stay put, keep your foot firmly planted on first base, so to speak, and there is a time to move ahead, step forward into the unknown, and there's only one way across. You can't float over this river on your feelings. You can't wait until you feel like, I've got it within me, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go for it. You can't jump over on past experience either. You can't swim over on effort, and you can't talk your way through on a university degree. The only way across your spiritual Jordan River is to exercise a living faith in a living God. Joshua knew this. So let's take a closer look and see what we can learn from his example as he led the people. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 3, and there we'll look at the first three verses. Joshua chapter 1 and beginning... Pardon me, chapter 3 and beginning in verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. And we'll stop right there. The first thing we can see in this story is this. We must listen carefully to God's orders. I want to emphasize the word orders. You see, Joshua had already received Israel's marching orders directly from God himself. And now Joshua is relaying them through his officers to all the people. And I want you to take note that Joshua's officers were not giving suggestions. Okay? These are not suggestions. These are orders. They are orders to be carefully listened to and executed. They are to be listened to and obeyed. I think too often we as Christians are guilty of listening to God's word as a suggestion book. We, we read this, we hear commands, orders, but we take them as, well, that's a good suggestion. I'm going to think about that and see if that somehow applies to my life. And yet here we see that what Joshua and through his officers is giving to the people are not suggestions to go across the Jordan River. These are orders. I think our Clarny Mennonite Church children's choir song, one of the all-time favorites, says it best. You probably sang it as a kid too. The one that goes, I'm in the Lord's army. Right? And so it goes like this. I'm in the Lord's army, so I'll think about it, and if what he says seems good to me, I might get around to doing it sometime, eventually. Is that how the song goes? No, it doesn't go like that. All right, help me out here. It goes like this. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Right? And that's where my sons karate chop each other. Yes, sir. There's only one response to that statement. I'm in the Lord's army, and it's yes, sir. It's not, I'll think about it. I'll get around to it if I feel like it. No, these are orders that demand execution. They demand obedience. And so we must listen carefully to God's marching orders and then say, yes, sir. Number two, we must watch carefully for the Lord's movement. Let's continue in verse three. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, 
You are to move out from your position and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Now, you'll recall that when the children of Israel traveled in the wilderness, they followed God's pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. So as they're traveling along, when the pillar would stop, they knew that that was the signal for them to stop. They would then set up the tabernacle and place the Ark of the Covenant inside the Holy of Holies. Then when all had been done, everything had been set up just as God instructed them to do, when it was all complete, then the pillar of God's presence would come to rest on top of the Holy of Holies, fill it, and the Shekinah glory of God, the manifest presence of God, would come to reside directly above the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat. And so this is where the manifest presence of God with Israel resided. And so for Israel, the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence among them. That God was not just distant up on top of Mount Sinai. He didn't stay there. He went with them. You might recall way back when they had rebelled against God and God said, I'll send my angel ahead of you, but I won't go with you because I might destroy you along the way because you are so sinful. But Moses begged God and said, no, I won't take one step forward unless you go with us. He didn't want to go anywhere without God. And so God said, yes, I will go with you. And so the Ark of the Covenant represented God among the people. He was with them. And so, in other words, following the Ark, keeping their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant was the signal for them that when God moved, they moved. And when God stopped, they stopped. So they were to watch carefully the Ark of the Covenant. Now there's a valuable spiritual lesson for us. When we need direction in life, when we're coming to a place like Israel, a, a way where we haven't been before, remember it says in the text, watch carefully the Ark because you've never been this way before. Watch it so you will know which way to go. We come up to moments like that in life as well. Moments where we don't know which way to go. Places we've never been before. And so we don't have a physical Ark of the Covenant to watch anymore. And so this is where we must prayerfully, watchfully, be discerning for the activity of the Holy Spirit. Both prompting us from within and also working around us. Potentially speaking to us through other believers, through circumstances. And we must observe, where is God moving? Where is he prompting? Now, if we fail to do this, we often end up making two equal yet opposite errors. The first one is, when we don't pay attention to the Holy Spirit, we end up charging ahead on our own. We just take off for second base when we think it's right, but we didn't prayerfully seek the, the Lord first to discern. Was this the right time? Was this the right direction? And we end up running into an out, so to speak. The second error is we end up sitting still and we're not watching for the Lord's direction. We're not listening for the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We're just content where we are. We, we just hunker down on first base. And so when God says go and he's actually moving ahead, we're not even watching for it. We miss the sign and we miss out. But now, while this may sound a little bit mysterious, 
What I've learned in my life is discerning the Lord's will and listening for the promptings of the Holy Spirit. What I've learned is that if you really, truly want to know what God wants for you, well, it's not all that complicated. You first ask and then pay attention. Ask and then watch. Ask and then listen. Because believe it or not, we don't have to guess. You see, God is not into guessing games. He actually wants to show you his will and his way for your life. Day by day by day, he wants to reveal this to you. In John chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, we see an example of this in the life of the Lord Jesus, our example. When asked about this sort of thing, we read in John 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show you even greater things than these. And so here we see Jesus is saying that he would watch his father. He would pay attention to what his father showed him and then... He simply did what his father showed him to do. And so Jesus says, this is how I live my life. I'm setting an example for you. So you, my follower, live your life this way as well. Watch for the Lord. Watch what the father is doing. He will show you and then do the same. And so we see Israel watch for the Lord's movement. Jesus watched for his father's movement. And we must learn to do the same. Ask God, seek the Holy Spirit's promptings, pay attention, and then when it becomes clear what the next step is, take that step in faith. The third thing we see in this story is this, is of course, it's so obvious, um, I barely need to say it, but I will anyways. Once we have the direction set, we see God is moving, we must move out and follow God. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, verse 2, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So not only were they to listen to God's orders, then watch for his movement, they were to then move out and follow. In other words, they had to get their foot off of first base and go. Now was the time. You see, it isn't enough to know or to see what God is doing. That's the first part. We need those two things, but those two things alone are not enough. There comes a time when you must move out from your position and follow. Now, this is where the old rubber hits the road. Israel has to actually cross the Jordan River. They have to do it. Now, normally, this, humanly speaking, wouldn't have presented much of a problem. Since the river was normally between 80 to 100 feet wide at the place that they were crossing near Gilgal. But Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, a little bit further on in the story, tells us this important detail. It says, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Let me ask you, have you ever crossed, say, the Pembina or the Long Rivers in late August? Has anyone here ever done that? Am I the only one who played around these rivers? I know a lot of you did. Okay, late August, the Pembina River, the Long River, in some places, you can get over with one leap, right? Or you can just wade across. It's barely enough to get your shoes wet, right? 
in late summer, the, the rivers are all but dried up. Has anyone tried to cross those same rivers in the spring, right after the thaw, at peak flood stage? Yeah, Barry has, I know that. <laughs> I have too, on a chunk of ice, but that's a story for another day. The point is, as Barry knows, and I do, it's extremely dangerous and virtually impossible for one person, let alone two million people. Because the fact is, in the harvest season, the Jordan River at Gilgal will have flooded to over 20 times wider than its regular width. In fact, some scholars estimate that it was almost a mile wide where they intended to cross. This isn't just one running leap and you're across. This is a mile, and we've got to get two million people plus across this very significant barrier that will have been flowing, of course, at flood flood rates. It's moving. This isn't just a nice little swim across. This is a huge barrier. How are they going to do this? How are they going to get across on their own? And it begs the question, why would God have brought them to the river at flood stage? You ever wondered that? Why does God bring us to something when it seems that the worst possible time? You know, he's brought us to something where it's like, God, you know, at a different time, this wouldn't have been such a big deal. But right now, this is just too big. It's too much. Why does he do that? Well, have you ever noticed that God seems to specialize in doing things in the hardest possible way? You ever notice that? God seems to specialize in doing things that to us just look utterly impossible. Why? Why does he do that? Well, I think one of the big reasons he does that is because that way we can't take credit for God's victories. We just can't. All the glory goes to him and him alone. If Israel were to get across the Jordan River, no one would be able to point at Joshua and say, wow, isn't Joshua a cunning, crafty leader? He got all those people across. No, there was no chance of that. Everyone who heard what happened here would say, their God did that, and the people would know God brought us across. And it's the same way for us. When we come up to obstacles that we think, hey, I've got the skill, I've got the cunning, I've got the strength to get through this on my own. When we get to the other side, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. Good job, Danny, you did it. But when I come up to something that I just know I don't have it in me, and and, and somehow God makes the way through on the other side, who gets the credit? Who do I know in my heart of hearts won that victory? It's God and God alone. He did that. And you see, God wanted Israel to understand something very important, and he wants us to get this too. There is no way across our Jordan River without him. We are completely dependent upon him. But then having acknowledged that, our dependency on him, Once we've acknowledged that, we must move ahead in faith that God will make a way. Because if we don't, we will stay stuck where we are. There's an amazing example of this from nature. The African impala. It lives in southeastern Africa. And these little deer, these African impala, they are incredible jumpers. Now, you think our white-tailed deer, they've got, they've got you know, amazing jumping abilities as well, but they don't hold a candle in the long-distance uh, category to the African impala because these little deer can jump to an incredible height of over 10 feet high off the ground. Flat ground, they've been measured to jump as high as 10 feet, so slam dunking, no problem for the impala, right? 
Also, they've been measured that when running at full speed, they can leap over a span of 30 feet. That's impressive. And yet these, incre- these incredible jumping animals, zookeepers have discovered, that they can be kept contained inside an enclosure with only a three-foot-high fence. A three-foot-high fence can keep them contained so long as the fence is opaque, meaning you can't see through the fence. And so the African Paula will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will land. If they cannot see through the fence, though they know they could easily leap over in a single bound, hardly exerting any effort at all, if they can't see their landing spot, they will stay put. Isn't that incredible? Zoos in the world know this, and so they craft it in such a way that they don't need to build an 11-foot-high fence to keep them contained. No, three feet will do it so long as they can't see where their feet will land. One might say that the African impala is risk-adverse. Well, unfortunately, this is often an accurate description of Christians as well. We want ironclad guarantees from God. Better yet, we want God to show us what's on the other side before we take the leap. We want him to say, hey, here's the cushy landing spot, then I'll jump. But 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, a simple statement yet so profound, our call to worship. It tells us that Christians are to live life a different way, and it says this, We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. You see, our human wisdom says, show me and I will follow. But God says, follow and I will show you. Do you see the difference? And so, follow we must. Not having seen first, but God says, follow and I will show you. And I will show you incredible things if you follow by faith. This leads us to our fourth point for this morning. We must remember that God is holy, and so we must consecrate ourselves to him. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but let's look at the verses. Verses 4 and 5 says this, But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So here we see that they are told to stay at least a thousand yards or roughly one kilometer behind the ark. This isn't just a small gap. This is a pretty big gap there to keep between themselves and the ark. And the reason you'll recall is that the ark was dangerous. The ark was dangerous. Why? Because God's holy presence is dangerous to all sinners. God has no sin. He is perfect and holy in all that he does. And so the only way we as sinners can enter his holy, perfect presence and not be destroyed is to have our sins atoned for or covered over. And in that Old Testament era, sin was covered by the shedding of animal blood, which was then sprinkled on the mercy seat of the ark, which was the lid of the ark of the covenant. And so when God saw the blood, it covered up the sin of the people. A little known fact often is that the the Ten Commandments were stored inside the Ark of the Covenant, basically saying that it's under the blood. The law is under the blood. God looks at the blood on the mercy seat, and so he shows mercy to the people. However, we must remember that the animal blood had no mystical power in and of itself. 
The reason God accepted it was because it pointed ahead to Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, who would be slain on the cross for all sin for all time, which includes you and I. Praise the Lord. And so for Israel to consecrate themselves in that time was a lengthy and elaborate ritual process. It meant they would put away anything that did not honor God from their lives, not just overt sins, but even small, minor things that we would hardly even think of. They were to put away, to cleanse themselves, to be consecrated wholly unto God, set apart for him and his service. And now for us today, to consecrate ourselves is profoundly simple in comparison to what Israel had to do. All we must do is to sincerely go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to examine our hearts and our lives, and then confess whatever sin is revealed. Ask God for his grace to cover it, and his strength then to repent of that sin fully, and to follow him in obedience to what he wants for our lives. This is to commit ourselves wholly consecrated to his service. And the bottom line of all of this is this. For Israel, if they desired for God's power to be revealed in an amazing way, which Joshua said, they couldn't treat sin lightly in their own lives. They had to get rid of it. They had to consecrate themselves for God to reveal his power. And so too, we can't continue on living in willful sin and expect God to reveal great and mighty things to us. We must repent and consecrate ourselves wholly to God if we are to follow him and see his mighty power at work. And that's the fourth and sobering principle we learn from this story. Number five. Finally, again, this is very close to number three, but it's a step further. Number five is this. We must step into the water. I know there was a great gospel song that goes step into the water way down a little bit deeper. Well, this is about not just going way down a little bit deeper. This is stepping into the water and hoping you don't drown, okay? Because remember, we're stepping into a flooded river at flood stage. The current is fast. They're carrying an extremely heavy Ark of the Covenant. The prospects of of them being washed away in the flood are very high if God doesn't show up and do something. And so we read in verses 11 to 13, See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Now remember, the river was almost a mile wide, and there were two million people who had to cross, and yet the Lord wanted to get them over. They couldn't build a bridge. There wasn't enough time or materials. They couldn't transport everyone over in boats. They couldn't swim. But what God was teaching Israel was that the river was not their problem. It was his problem. So if they could muster the faith to simply put their foot into the water, to put their feet one in front of the other, God would take care of the river. So all we must do is put one foot in front of the other. That's all he asks of us. He will take care of the river. And so my friends, the Lord is greater than any problem that you have ever had or ever will have. 
In fact, every problem in your life, maybe you're facing one right now, I want you to look at that problem and see it as nothing more than a platform for God to work a miracle for your good and his glory. So we need to remember that what the Lord has promised to do, he will accomplish. But of course, that's easier said than done, right? It's easy for me to stand in the pulpit and say this. And I've often thought about those 12 men who had to carry the Ark of the Covenant. I've often thought about the two lucky guys who got to stand at the very front of the Ark. Those poles that were in there, the two guys at the very front of the line. I've often thought about them. Because they had to lead the way, right? They had to step into the water, literally, before anyone else. Watch what happens. Verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, and listen to this, and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Now here was the condition on God's promise. The waters would not stop flowing until the priests who were carrying the ark stepped into the water. The water did not stop before. These men had no indication that anything was going to happen. They're standing there, water's flowing. That's all they see. Laws of physics and nature would dictate this is what's going to continue. I would be there, Lord, can't you just stop it a little bit before I step in? Just, just a wee bit, show me that maybe it's ebbing, it's, it's just the flow stopping a little bit. But that's not how it worked. They had to step into the water, then God performed the miracle. My friends, faith honors God, and God honors faith. There's an incredible story from the life of missionaries Robert and Mary Moffat. For ten years, Robert and Mary Moffat labored faithfully in Bukhanaland, which is modern-day Botswana. Without one ray of encouragement for an entire decade, they labored away in the mission field. During that decade, they could not report a single person coming to faith in Christ. It got to the point that the directors of their own mission board began to question the wisdom of them continuing on. They said, we, we think it's time for you to come home. And so as they prayed about this, as they thought about leaving their post, it just brought great grief and sorrow to their hearts that no, this was too soon. God wanted them to continue on. They felt sure that God was still in their labors and that they would see people turn to Christ in due season if they did not give up. And so they stayed. And for another year and two longer, darkness continued to reign. No one came to Christ. Nothing but opposition. Then one day, a friend from England sent word to the Moffats. She wanted to encourage them by sending them a gift in the mail. She asked them, what do you need? What would you like? Cost is is no barrier. And so, a spark of inspiration came to Mrs. Moffat, and she replied, send us a communion set. I am sure it will soon be needed. God honored that woman's faith. The Holy Spirit began to move in the hearts of the villagers where they labored. And soon, a little group of six new believers were united, forming the first Christian church in the entire country. That communion set that was mailed from England was delayed in the mail for quite some time. But on the very day 
that they were planning to have their first communion supper as a church, the set arrived right on time. So what is the truth for us today? Well, too often we want God to part the waters first, when in fact the Lord is saying, have faith and step into the water. That is exactly what those priests did. They stepped into the water anticipating a miracle. And yet again, God did not disappoint. Verse 16. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now, interesting note here is that the city of Adam is located some 20 miles north of where the children of Israel crossed. And so when we think of that little picture of the Jordan having this narrow channel cut across, no, it was at 20 miles, 20 miles of dry Jordan for 2 million people to come across all at once. This wasn't a narrow procession. They could, they could spread out and get across that river in a hurry. Not only did God make a way, he made the way more than adequate for the people to get across. And so too, when God makes a way for us, my friends, it's not just by the skin of our teeth, it's not just barely eking our way through. When God makes a way, it is more than adequate. And my friends, the full fulfillment of that is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When God made a way for us to come to him, he didn't say, you know, it's, it, it's just so, just barely going to get your sin covered. No, it is, it is an ocean of grace, my friends. It is a way through Christ that is so sufficient, so all-sufficient, that when we come to him in simple faith, stepping forward, the way is open. And we are across that river. And so I want to encourage you this morning by reminding you that the God who did all of that for Israel is the same God that we serve today in 2019. What he did for ancient Israel, he can do for us. He was able all throughout scripture, and he is still able today. Regardless of circumstances, God is able to overcome the most overwhelming obstacles. And remember, when you face problems in life, they're not your problems, they're his problems. It is never about what we can do. It is always about what the Lord is able to do through us as we respond to him by faith. As Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says so well, Now to him who is able, I love that, he is able, my friends. He's not just straining. No, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, which includes ours, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are able, more than able. Thank you that you are making a way. And that when we come up against our Jordans, against our problems, whatever they are, Father, Help us to see that what's impossible to us is not only possible with you, but to you it is nothing. And you're more than interested in making a way for us when we step forward in obedience to you and in faith. 
For, Father, faith honors you, and you delight in honoring faith, even the size of a mustard seed. Thank you, Lord, that all things are possible to them who believe. And so, Father, today if we come to you and we find our faith is weak, please strengthen our faith, Lord. If people are here today and they're at that point of decision trying to discern what is the way forward, what would you have me do, and what is the right time, help each of us, Lord, to learn to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, to see where you're moving. And then once we know the way, to have the faith and the courage to step forward and see what mighty and amazing thing you will do to make the way for your glory. Thank you that this is the way that you have worked with Israel and this is the way you continue to work with us. And Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here today who recognizes they haven't taken that step of saving faith by placing their trust in you, Jesus, to forgive them of their sins, that your blood would cover them up, that they could be welcomed forever into your family, O God. I pray that right now, by your Holy Spirit, open their heart to see that this way is open for them right now by you, Jesus, and by your cross. Help them to take that step of faith, and you will welcome them. Thank you that this is your work, and we trust you in it. In Jesus' name, amen.